Kenneth Bailey says, I know that in an increasingly secular world, Merry Christmas competes with Happy Holidays. I long to turn the traditional Merry Christmas the other direction and introduce a new greeting for Christmas morning, such as, greeting, the Savior is born, and response, he is born in a manger. Why would Kenneth Bailey think this way? Well, this is part two of Luke chapter two, the nativity in Luke chapter two, and this is Lighthouse Podcast, and I'm Ty Nickel. Welcome back to the Lighthouse Podcast, a production of the Greenville Church of Christ. My name is Ty Nickel. I'm the preaching minister for the Greenville Church of Christ. And last episode, we talked about the idea of the manger. And manger means Messiah. This was the sign that was given to the shepherds who were outcasts uh, to find exactly the right baby. In Luke chapter 2, we find that Luke is trying to point out for the shepherds that in Bethlehem there will be probably many babies, but the one that they find lying in a manger will be the one that they will to are to identify as king, uh, Messiah, the son of David, a descendant of David, and Lord. And this is the one who will be in contrast to Caesar Augustus, who made the decree for all the world to have a census taken. And this is what precipitated Joseph and Mary going back to Joseph's hometown of the city of David, otherwise known as Bethlehem. So in recapping last episode, we have this idea of a contrast of kingdoms, where we see an image in the background, an ominous image perhaps of a shadowy figure named Caesar Augustus, whose only depiction was represented in propaganda for most people in the empire, and he was deified in a sense. And so you have this idea that Caesar Augustus rules the entire known world, and you're under his uh, rule as the son of a god, because he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, whom they tried to make divine. So what we have in the story of Luke chapter 2 is a different Caesar being born, a different emperor, a different kind of king, and it's not just the king of Israel, it's the one who will deliver not only Israel, but the entire world. So immediately from Luke's gospel, we see a tension, and we're going to see a confrontation of kingdoms, but the story will play out in a much different way than it usually did. Instead of a bloody war where Augustus Caesar was victorious over Antony, Mark Antony, at the Battle of Actium, uh, we're going to see Jesus be victorious over the entire world, or the entire evil world, rather, in the sense that he delivers them on a cross as a criminal. So these stories are all central to Luke, and he wants them to make them, he wants to make them central in our minds uh, for the story of Jesus' birth, the nativity. And yet that is quite different than what we have during Christmas time. So we're going to get back into that 
And we're going to rely heavily on Kenneth Bailey today, who writes about this uh, myth that we have bought into over the past several centuries. And we're going to be talking about some of his comments about the manger in the inn, uh, where, what was the manger and where was it? Or were, were they born in a hotel or where, I mean, excuse me, were they not born in a hotel? Uh, were they rejected from going to a hotel, maybe a, uh, hotel six or, or wherever that might have been. And we're going to find out about these words that uh, seem to have escaped modern culture. So, Hang on, we're about ready to go with Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey was someone who spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I believe uh, nearly 50 years in his study. And he has contributed a lot to the uh, stories and backgrounds of the Bible especially the New Testament and, and much of the Old. And we have this here in one of his books uh, about the peasant culture of the Middle East and how we have ignored it uh, in reading it because of our modern interpretation. Let me read from one of his comments here about this idea of Bethlehem. In the text, he says, in Luke chapter 2, he's referring to the time spent in Bethlehem before the birth is not specified, but it was surely long enough to find adequate shelter or to turn to Mary's family not far away. This late night arrival imminent birth myth is so deeply ingrained in the popular Christian mind that it's important to inquire into its origin. Where did this idea come from, he says. So we have this idea in our heads that uh, Joseph and Mary were riding into, or at least Mary was riding into Bethlehem on a donkey, and she was basically having contractions at that point, and so there was a rush to find any spot at all for her to have this baby. And so that, while that is a very dramatic and compelling image in our minds, uh, the question is, is it correct? And does that represent the culture then accurately? Or are we just listening to things that we, are we just gravitating toward uh, things that are just more compelling and ignoring the, the text itself? Well, <clears throat> Kenneth Bailey says this also in response to it, he says, The source of this misinterpretation stems from approximately 200 years after the birth of Jesus, when an anonymous Christian wrote an expanded account of the birth of Jesus that has survived and is called the Proto-Evangelium of James. And he says, James had nothing to do with it. The author was not a Jew and did not understand Palestinian geography or Jewish tradition. <clears throat> excuse me, in the period, many wrote books claiming famous people as the authors. Um, so you have this idea that the Proto-Evangelium of James was something that started these ideas about the birth narrative or the nativity 
of Jesus. And so we have what's going on in the text. Um, when we read it, we read into it many things and put many images into our minds, not even realizing what we're doing. So let's uh, begin there, and we're going to begin talking about some of the things in there. We cannot go into the extensive material that Bailey has, but we're going to try to delve into a little bit of it. And we're going to be talking about the manger in the end. What was the manger exactly? And what exactly was the inn? Bailey says, for the Western mind, the word manger invokes the words stable or barn. So you and I have seen many depictions either in movies or Christmas cards or even in maybe songs that we sing. Uh, we have images of Jesus being born in a, even in a cave, uh, mostly in a stable or barn because we have heard or associated the word manger with these things. Uh, Bailey says the traditional Middle Eastern villages uh, don't have this. He says in the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21, there is mention of storehouses but not barns. Uh, people of great wealth would naturally have had separate quarters for animals. But simple village homes in Palestine often had only two rooms. One was exclusively for guests. And that room could be attached to the end of the house or be what's called a prophet's chamber on the roof, as in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17:19. The main room was a family room where the entire family cooked, ate, slept, and lived. And commenting here on Bailey's uh, discussion of family room, uh, if you can imagine a one-room house, then you can imagine Jesus speaking about the idea of putting a lamp under a basket. He says, why would we want to put a lamp under a basket? Instead, we put a lamp out in the open in the room so that it lights all who are in the house. Well, it can't light all who are in the house if you have a bunch of rooms. So typically, it seems that Jesus is talking about the typical peasant house where the light would light everybody in that room, uh, which would basically be the entire house. And so this gets even more interesting as we go on, because this is also where uh, believe it or not, for a Middle Eastern family even to this day, or some other places around the world, it wouldn't be hard to imagine, that this is also where the animals were kept at night. Not maybe in the middle of the living room, but maybe near the entrance. And so Bailey goes on to explain some of this. He says the end of the room next to the door was either a few feet lower than the rest of the floor or blocked off with heavy timbers. Why? Well, because animals were going to be brought in. He said each night into that designated area, the family cow, donkey, and a few sheep would be driven. And every morning, those same animals were taken out and tied up in the courtyard of the house. The animal stall would then be clean for the day. 
Such simple homes can be traced from the time of David up to the middle of the 20th century. He says, I've seen them both in Upper Galilee and in Bethlehem. So we have this interesting idea of a Middle Eastern home, a typical peasant village home, where Jesus very likely could have been born because this would have been a place for a manger to be at the end of a raised living room floor. So if we can imagine uh, perhaps a small stage that uh, sits maybe two or three feet off the ground, then we can begin to maybe imagine the uh, few stairs that walk up to it, maybe two or three steps, and we get up on top of that stage. The same would be in the case of a living room floor, which is slightly raised off of the ground, and you would enter into that home and see those steps immediately to your right or to your left, and you would also see to the other direction a what looks like a stable for some animals. And they would be brought in for heat during the night and protection so that people wouldn't steal them. And you even hear uh, Jesus in his uh, discussion with the Pharisees or others talking about untying their donkey on the Sabbath. And instead Jesus is talking about basically untying a woman who has been um, subjected to an illness uh, for such time in that case. But you have this idea that the stable is in the house. And this is not unusual. Um, Bailey also says the roof is flat and can have a guest room built on it or a guest room can be attached to the end of the house. The door on the lower level serves as an entrance for people and animals. The farmer wants the animals in the house each night because they provide heat in winter and are safe from theft. So you have these images in the Middle Eastern mind as they read uh, Jesus' nativity scene. So the idea of a manger is the idea of a feeding trough, as many of us think about that, but many of us associate that also with the stable or barn, which is not inappropriate, but usually in a modern Western culture, those are detached completely from uh, a house. I have lived in farming communities, and those are going to be detached from the living quarters of people quite naturally in a modern Western environment. So the idea of manger is where Jesus was born. And that's where the shepherds were to find them. Uh, the outcast shepherds were considered clean as they came to see Jesus. Jesus is obviously uh, designating them or God is designating them as worthy of seeing the uh, the glory of the Lord in the baby Jesus and we have a compelling image there as well so we have this idea uh, in Luke chapter 2 that he's trying to get across that this is the place where you're going to find the real Messiah so there could have been many babies born uh, there could have been perhaps babies born in um, other uh, barns or something or storehouses as Bailey mentions 
that's quite possible. I, I, I'm not uh, disputing maybe the possibility of that, but we are trying to concentrate on where Jesus exactly was to be located. As Luke is pointing out three times in chapter 2, he points the shepherds to a manger. So did they have to go searching for uh, Jesus? Uh, someone uh, mentioned the idea of a star leading the shepherds. Well, we certainly hear of a star in Matthew's gospel, uh, but the star is leading the uh, Magi, or the men from the east, who went to Herod to find the newborn child. And it is typically believed that that's a couple of years later, perhaps, because Herod made the decree for all babies to and under to be killed. So uh, they had kind of assumed that the time had already came and went, that the boy was born, and the star led the wise men, uh, that's a topic for another time, into uh, finding Jesus, and they brought him gifts, and they found him with Mary, and they brought him uh, myrrh, frankincense, and uh, the other uh, gifts that I can't think of right now, gold, (laughs) sorry, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we have the idea of them being led by the star, but the Shepherds had to find a manger. Uh, The Magi didn't have to find a manger. So we have this in the story of the manger. So the next segment, we're going to get into the idea of what the inn actually is. When you and I hear the word inn, I think most of us would think hotel, like Holiday Inn. And I don't believe the image was a vacancy, a neon vacancy sign that Joseph and Mary ran into uh, when they were coming into Bethlehem. Because again, we feel like that the idea that Luke is portraying was that they were in a rush, that Mary was perhaps in having contractions and needing to have the baby immediately. Uh, Certainly, while it couldn't have been a comfortable ride on a donkey while being pregnant, I don't know the circumstances, but we do know that uh, the days, plural, Luke records, that uh, had come about. So it's, it's very reasonable to assume that they had been there for enough time to find a space, but there was no necessarily inn, as the um, NIV would translate it, or the NASB, but it's not the word inn as you and I understand it, as in hotel. Again, referring to Bailey, he says, for more than a hundred years, scholars resident in the Middle East have understood Luke chapter 2, verse 7, as referring to a family room with mangers cut into the floor at one end. If this interpretation is pursued, there remains the question of the identity of the inn. So what precisely was it that was full? Was was a hotel full? Or was it a family room that was full? So there were, um, uh, leaving Bailey for a second, there were... um, inns or hotels it seems of some sort 
in the Middle East, uh, I believe the Good Samaritan uh, parable or the story of the Good Samaritan where he puts the injured man in the inn is a different word than what we find here in Luke chapter 2 verse 7. And the word would have been uh, pandokion, which, uh, or pandokion, uh, however the Greek pronunciates that. And that would have meant that pan, meaning everybody, and kion, meaning uh, a receiving place. So a receiving place for all. Uh, this word is going to be different as we find out in uh, Bailey's comments here. So he says, if Joseph and Mary were taken into a private home and at, the, and at birth Jesus was placed in a manger in that home, how is the word in, in I-N-N, in Luke 2-7 to be understood? He says, most English translations state that after the child was born, he was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This sounds as if they were really rejected by the people of Bethlehem. But was that really the case? There's a trap in traditional language. No room in the inn has taken on the meaning of the inn had a number of rooms and all were occupied. But the Greek word does not refer to a room in an inn, but rather to space, topos, as in there is no space on my desk for my new computer. It is important to keep this correction in mind as we turn to the world we have been told was an inn. The Greek word in Luke 2.7 is that commonly translated in is katalima, K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A. This is not the ordinary word for a commercial inn or a hotel. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, as we mentioned, we find the word pandokion, P-A-N-D-O-C-H-E-I-O-N. So what we have here is uh, a difference in words and, and terminology which Luke would have been familiar with and would have employed uh, knowing that his Greek audience would have had images in their minds uh, for whichever word he used, but he uses the word catalema. So what this means is, is he says literally a catalema is simply a place to stay and can refer to many types of shelters. Uh, he says the three that are options for the story are in, I-N-N, -N, house or guest room, which is Luke's choice. Indeed, Luke used this key term on one occasion in his gospel where it is defined in the text itself. In Luke 22, Jesus tells his disciples, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, which was supposed to be odd for a man. Uh, men didn't carry jars of water like the women did. Uh, he says, follow him into the house which he enters and tell the householder, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room, the catalema, where I am to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. So Bailey says the key word catalema is defined as an upper room, which is clearly a guest room in a private home. The precise meaning makes perfect sense, he says, when applied to the birth story. In Luke 2, 7, Luke tells his readers that Jesus was placed in a manger in the family room because in that home the guest room was already full. 
Um, so there's other things that we talk about in regard to Bailey's comments uh, with these ideas because uh, there's other things like the women would have been the ones helping Mary. Uh, we can't imagine shepherds um, finding Mary uh, and Joseph perhaps in a cave and being giddy about the fact that they have seen the Messiah but then leave them there as if hospitality and needs weren't um, a problem. In other words, if you were born in a barn or a cave or anywhere away from other people, you just had a baby. You have some serious needs to be taken care of. And here we have the, even though pitiful, um, image in our minds of Joseph and Mary being apart from everybody else, they have some serious needs for this newborn child, which is supposed to be the king of the world. So um, this is a very compelling contrast that Bailey is making in regard to where exactly was this manger. And so we have this idea now in our heads that he was in a normal home. Uh, the trough or the manger would have been cleaned out for him. And he would have been laid in there. And that also is probably supposed to bring into our minds another image. Uh, an image that is, is completely from the beginning of the story of the Bible where we have man being born amongst the animals. Uh, we have a new kind of human uh, being born in the midst of an old humanity. Uh, in the midst of animals right there in a family home. So talking about the manger and the inn, all or, or, or manger and rather the catalema, which would be family room or guest room, uh, where the men would have been uh, pushed back in in that sense if there were any men in the house at that time, which I'm assuming there would have been Joseph and others. You have this idea that that Jesus was born with all of the hospitality needed. It would have been humble hospitality in the sense versus a, a palace type of hospitality or provision. But you have it nonetheless in a normal peasant sense. And we still have a compelling image in our mind uh, when we see this contrast to that of someone who's wealthy. So, the outcast shepherds are allowed to enter into that and find the baby in a manger and uh, have proof of the angel's uh, prediction. And then the story continues for Luke. And the story would have been well known in Luke's time of writing. And they would have known exactly what to think about all of this. And probably there would have been some literature um, early on, if Jesus was born in a cave or in a, a storehouse or a barn that was separate and apart, this would have been a very strange story, nonetheless. Uh, there, uh, it would have gone along with many others, but still, it, it seems very reasonable that this is the case, that this is where the manger was, and this is what the inn was. It was a catalema and not a uh, pendokion, which means a receiving place for just anybody. So let's recap here in the next segment. Mm -hmm. 
Many of us are warming up to the idea of Christmas. It's December, uh, the beginning of December. And all around us, we might be seeing nativity scenes uh, lit up uh, with neon lights or Christmas lights in front yards across the country uh, in different neighborhoods. And we have this uh, warm fuzzy uh, which is going to mean that we're celebrating a holiday, Christmas, and we're going to enjoy the time with family and so forth. Um, but the underlying story of Jesus' birth is perhaps lost on many of us, and we are forgetting uh, what is behind the images, and most of them, the images are not even correct. Uh, and this reason for talking about the nativity is because we have a a contrast of kingdoms in this world which we have forgotten about. We have forgotten about that Jesus was born in the midst of a brutal um, empire uh, symbolized by Caesar Augustus and his uh, decision to have a, a census taken of the entire Roman world. And this always meant uh, that they were needing more money uh, for more um, war and uh, for more opportunities to expand the kingdom. And here we have Jesus being born and he's going to rescue not only his people Israel but the entire world from uh, its evil. Uh, and so you have a contrast of one kingdom that comes from the heavens and you have a kingdom which is of the world and right now we are still in that scenario where there, there are kingdoms of the world and our nativity scenes in our front yards don't exactly scream this is the kingdom from another world another type of world not necessarily uh, outer space uh, Jesus will say in John chapter 18 uh, that he, he will say to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. He doesn't mean that it's uh, from a place that has no contact with this world. It just means that it's not. he's not having a kingdom that's coming out of. The word, word is ek, like exodus. Uh, you would find that his kingdom is quite different than that of a brutal, uh, unforgiving, merciless, ruthless empire like Rome, Jesus' kingdom was quite the opposite. Jesus' kingdom was forgiving, nurturing, loving, uh, joyful. It had hope, uh, and it did not have death as an ending, and it certainly didn't use death as a tool to intimidate uh, its subjects or its citizens. So what we have is a contrast of kingdoms when we hear Luke's story of a manger uh, versus maybe a palace in Rome. We have a contrast of style of kingdoms when we hear about Jesus' nativity. And we don't see that in our culture because we have been conditioned to maybe just celebrate something that is uh, compelling, as humble, uh, and which should be humble. Uh, but the whole story isn't being told. It's more of a time uh, for us just to take a break from work, which is good. 
but it's it's not really telling the whole story all the time in our culture and in other cultures. Um, some have taken Christmas to the extreme, to where it has nothing to do with Jesus at all, and mainly just about the idea of celebrating something. Celebrating ourselves, maybe, mostly. And we don't have a story about a contrast of styles of kingdoms, which Jesus invaded. And his kingdom is still invading this world. It's still spreading. And, but it's spreading through the story. It's spreading through the ability to share that story and what he is about to do, especially in Luke's gospel, by going to a Roman cross and being executed. That is not the kind of story that the ancient world would have associated with victory. But you and I have heard enough of it to understand that it has something to do with victory, but it still may be unclear. And this is the reason why we are talking about the idea of light. Uh, The Bible needs to be explained and taught for people to understand the story and for people to grow in discipleship and for people to mature and share the story themselves in every part of the world. In order for light to fill the entire house, we have to bring the lamp out from underneath the basket. And the nativity scene, for many of us, is like a lamp uh, being put under a basket. It doesn't make sense. Uh, It makes sense in the traditional sense of celebration, but it doesn't make sense in the way of understanding Jesus' story and Jesus' plan for creation, which is God's world. So I hope you've had a a, a taste, because this is only uh, a part of what could be uh, explored in the nativity of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, but we're going to conclude right now. We'd love to hear any questions or comments that you have. Uh, Please don't hesitate to uh, give me those. And you can uh, follow us on the Lighthouse Podcast. Again, I'm the preacher for the Greenville Church of Christ, Ty Nickel. And I'm glad that you've had a couple of episodes in regard to the nativity of, of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. So have an have a incredible Christmas, but remember what it's all about.